L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. It's May, 1963. The eyes of the world are on Birmingham, Alabama. Hundreds of Birmingham's black residents, including scores of teenagers, pour into the streets in their church clothes on a warm Sunday afternoon. Birmingham's police chief, Eugene Bull Connor, watches the scene unfold. Connor is a burly white man in his mid-60s, slicked back gray hair, horn-rimmed glasses. He looks a lot like the warden from the Shawshank Redemption. In recent days, the frustrated Connor has turned to police dogs and fire hoses to put down the stream of protesters. And he has drawn national attention to himself and his city in the process. The marchers are given one more chance to turn around and disperse. They refuse. The angry Connor whirls and shouts to his men, damn it, turn on the hoses. Many protesters take to their knees, prepared to stand their ground peacefully against the coming onslaught. But what happened next is not what you think, or what you may have seen in the black and white photos of protesters, dogs, and fire hoses. What happened next surprised even the man behind the protests in Birmingham, Martin Luther King Jr. What happened next were the dogs that didn't bark the fire hoses that didn't spray. What happened next was what Dr. King called the pride and the power of nonviolence. I'm Sean Braswell, and this is The Thread. Each season, we unravel the stories behind some of the most important lives and events in history to discover, essentially, how one thing leads to another. To do so, we travel back through history, one story at a time, to explore the origins of an important event, an iconic figure, or a big idea. 
This year marks the 50th anniversary of the death of the iconic civil rights leader, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And so, in season three of The Thread, we explore the origins of a revolutionary idea, one very near and dear to the heart of Dr. King, the principle of nonviolent resistance. The counterintuitive notion that the best way to reform your enemies is to love them. The best way to counter their blows is to absorb them. King established the use of mass nonviolent protest on American soil, but it did not begin with him. We'll take you on a journey through the minds of some remarkable individuals and across the globe. This season on The Thread, we find out how a single powerful idea can spread and remake the world. When Martin Luther King Jr. was 14 years old, he had a formative experience aboard a segregated bus. King and his high school teacher were on their way back to Atlanta from an oratory contest in southern Georgia. They were asked to give up their seats when two white passengers boarded the bus. The teenage King stood and stewed for hours at the back of the bus. He later recalled, quote, it was the angriest I have ever been in my life. Twelve years later, a 42-year-old seamstress found herself in a similar situation. But as history has well told, Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat. And as fate would have it, the now 26-year-old Dr. King had just accepted a job as a minister in the city where Parks took her famous ride, Montgomery, Alabama. Mrs. Rosa Parks was arrested and taken down to jail, taken from the bus, just because she refused to give up her seat. That is the young King addressing reporters about the events unfolding in Montgomery. A boycott of the city's buses was proposed four days after Parks was arrested. This is David Garrow, King biographer and the Pulitzer Prize-winning author of Bearing the Cross. That's when Dr. King debuted as the lead spokesperson for this new citywide bus boycott effort. King and his wife Coretta woke up early on the first day of the boycott. They watched the bus stop near their house from the front window and looked on in amazement as bus after bus passed by. Most of the buses contained not a single black passenger. That was the day that we started a bus protest which literally electrified the nation. And that was the day when we decided that we were not going to take segregated buses any longer. King saw a powerful social movement come together before his eyes. For several weeks now, we, the Negro citizens of Montgomery, have been involved in a nonviolent protest against uh, the injustices which we have experienced on the buses for a number of years. Soon the boycott went from weeks to months, and Montgomery's white community started to press back. This is historian John D'Amelio. So imagine a protest like this developing in Alabama in 1955. Segregation is the rule. Um, white supremacists uh, have no reluctance to use violence to keep African-Americans in line. 
they lynch people, they shoot people, they're willing to burn houses, they will do anything that they have to do. King quickly became a primary target for that violence. David Garrow again. Dr. King gradually becomes a, a more and more visible figure uh, in local uh, Montgomery news coverage. Not long thereafter, uh, there's a small bomb that's detonated uh, on the porch of his home uh, when he's out at a rally. It breaks some windows. Uh, no one, fortunately, is injured. An angry crowd had gathered outside Dr. King's home by the time he arrived back. They refused to obey police instructions to disperse. King stepped onto the front porch. He asked them not to retaliate. Then, referring to the people who had nearly killed his wife and child an hour before, King told the crowd, quote, I want you to love our enemies. Be good to them. Love them and let them know you love them. And you can see in his remarks that evening how his fundamental Christian belief in, a, in an ethic and doctrine of love, even love for one's enemies, uh, is at the very core of, of his being. Finally, Montgomery city leaders agreed to the protesters' demands. After a community of more than 50,000 people had protested for 382 days, Montgomery's buses would never be segregated again. And King and his allies had launched a powerful new form of protest in America, nonviolent resistance. If passive resistance means uh, just passively accepting violence or injustice, if it means uh, cowardice and stagnant passivity, then there is a difference because nonviolent resistance that does resist. It is dynamically active. Governments think it's a dangerous idea. It's a cherished notion of government that they have an exclusive right to violence. This is Mark Kurlansky, author of Nonviolence, The History of a Dangerous Idea. If your opponents are violent, uh, and you're violent, you're playing to their strong suit. Whereas if you're nonviolent, you're, they, they don't really know what to do. Uh, and that's what happened with the, the, the civil rights movement. King's nonviolent approach transformed that movement. Before the Montgomery bus boycott, the U.S. civil rights movement was based in the North, with organizations like the NAACP, which won the landmark school desegregation decision, Brown versus Board of Education. A year after the boycott, King and several other Southern black ministers and activists formed the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, or SCLC, in 1957. And that's when the center of the civil rights movement began to shift to the South and to the black religious leaders like King, who waged a new war of nonviolence. David Garrow. The lesson of Montgomery was that local black communities, just ordinary residence citizens, uh, could take meaningful action on their own against racial segregation uh, without waiting for leadership from uh, New York City. Dr. King was a, a unique personality because he was a, a conflict uh, resolver. He acted as a lubricant and a persuader to get people to compromise and do things in keeping with his tradition of the nonviolent uh, techniques. This is Timothy Jenkins, a civil rights leader who helped organize student sit-ins and other nonviolent protests during the 1960s. 
and he was an advocate of techniques of persuasion that did not revolve around force or arms or threats. And that led to, I think, a, a unique character to it, this movement as opposed to normal political movements because it was not a test of power and a test of authority. It was a test of moral suasion. But it was a test that did not always work. John D'Amelio again. Dr. King had been in supporting protests in Albany, Georgia in 1962 for much of the year. And it was a very frustrating experience, um, in part because the sheriff in Albany, Georgia, had the foresight not to respond to these protests with violence. And so the protests didn't capture headlines. The Southern nonviolence campaign stalled by the end of 1962. In many ways, nonviolent protest depends upon violence from those in authority to succeed. And King knew that the movement needed a confrontation to regain the nation's attention. Mark Kurlansky. He realized that, you know, resisting nonviolently would only work if people saw you doing it. Which is how King and the SCLC came to be in Birmingham, Alabama, the most segregated city in America in early 1963. Birmingham has one of the most brutal white sheriffs in the South. John D'Amelio again. He went by the name of Bull Connor, which tells you something about how people perceived him. He was as determined and fierce as a bull. Here the animated Connor, in a white shirt and black tie, defends his actions in Birmingham. You can never whip these boys if you don't keep you and them separate. I found that out in Birmingham. You've got to keep the white and the black separate. King and local black leaders were banking on the fact that Connor would take any means necessary to ensure that Birmingham's races remained separate. The demonstrations began during Easter week, 1963. About 50 supporters turned out for the first march on Good Friday. After four and a half blocks, the marchers, including King, were met by Connor's officers, placed under arrest, and taken to the city jail. For the next few weeks, the demonstrations did not have their intended effect. David Garrow. Initially in Birmingham, uh, King and SCLC uh, had a good degree of trouble in recruiting black community members to participate in protests. Connor and the Birmingham police remained restrained, avoiding the media attention that King counted on. So a new tactic was adopted. Leaflets were circulated in Birmingham's black high schools, urging students to join the next demonstration. In Birmingham, they decide to mobilize young people. Not young adults, not college students, but high school students and younger. And that gets a lot of publicity, and at a certain point, Bull Connor and the police just lose it, and they start beating people and arresting them en masse. Police arrested more than 500 students in the first two days. The jails were full, and Connor's patience was running thin. He unleashed the police dogs and ordered the fire hoses be turned on demonstrators. Water from the high-powered hoses tore the clothes off some protesters' backs. Photographers and television cameras captured the brutal attack. Images of police officers beating protesters, of teenagers getting slammed against walls by water, and of dogs snarling at young girls made headlines across the country. 
many whites in the rest of the country were going about their lives not even noticing that this was going on in the South. Well, you couldn't not notice this. And so Birmingham really brings the civil rights struggle up to a new level of visibility. But perhaps the most remarkable part of the Birmingham story happened on that Sunday afternoon in early May, where we started this episode. The protesters, many on their knees, braced themselves yet again for the Birmingham police to unleash the dogs and the fire hoses. Bull Connor himself gives the order for them to do so. Then, for the next 30 seconds, something astonishing occurs. Connor's men do nothing. Slowly, the protesters stand up and continue forward with their march. Dr. King later described the scene. Connor's men, as though hypnotized, fell back, their hoses sagging uselessly in their hands while several hundred Negroes marched past them without further interference. It would prove to be a defining moment for the civil rights movement. And for King, it was an eye-opening event. As he later wrote, I felt there, for the first time, the pride and the power of nonviolence. The nonviolent movement had taken the struggle to the heart of the Jim Crow South and to the forefront of the national consciousness. King was thrilled. The activities which have taken place in Birmingham over the last few days, uh, to my mind, marked the nonviolent movement coming of age. David Garrow again. The images and impact of Birmingham uh, convinced both of the Kennedy brothers that they needed to finally move forward with a meaningful civil rights bill. Uh, that's the real tangible impact of Birmingham. Congress passes the most sweeping civil rights bill ever to be written into the law and thus reaffirms the conception of equality for all men that began with Lincoln and the Civil War 100 years ago. The summer of 1963 was a revolution, King later said, because it changed the face of America. By the time it was over, hundreds of lunch counters, hotels, parks, and other public places had been integrated. King and his nonviolent movement continued to win victories and historic legislation over the next few years, but not without cost. King led a march for voting rights in Alabama in 1965 that resulted in what was called Bloody Sunday. Armed police attacked King and other peaceful demonstrators as they walked across the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma. Just like in Birmingham, television carried the beatings to audiences across the country and the world. Mark Kurlansky again. You know, it, it, it worked in a way that I don't think his opponents understood how well it worked or they wouldn't have done things like the Pettus Bridge. You know, the power of, of people seeing that all over the world. King's nonviolent campaign was working, but he sensed that violence still bubbled just beneath the surface during the turbulent times. Here's King on Meet the Press in 1965. Realism impels me to admit, however, that when there is justice and the pursuit of justice, violence disappears, and where there is injustice and uh, frustration, the potentialities for violence are greater. Those frustrations and the potential for violence 
would grow as the 1960s wore on. Up next, we dip into the shadows of history to meet the remarkable man who inspired Dr. King's nonviolent approach in the first place. LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. You ever get the feeling the city walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating your soul? You crave wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe chase some elk, fish a private stream. Well, listen up. There's a whole world out there, and finding your own piece of it just got easier. Head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, you name it. Search by acreage, location, the kind of hunting or fishing you dream of. Land.com. It's where the adventure begins. Men for years now have been talking about war and peace, but now no longer can they just talk about it. It is no longer the choice between violence and nonviolence in this world, it's nonviolence or non-existence. That is where we are today. Good evening. Dr. Martin Luther King, the apostle of nonviolence in the civil rights movement, has been shot to death in Memphis, Tennessee. Dr. King was standing on the balcony of a second floor hotel room tonight when, according to a companion, a shot was fired from across the street. In the friend's words, the bullet exploded in his face. Martin Luther King's legacy is inextricably tied to the nonviolent approach he championed. But the civil rights leader was not always opposed to violence. As a seminary student, he expressed skepticism about the virtues of pacifism and nonviolence. Even in the opening days of the Montgomery boycott, King had not yet found his nonviolent voice. Mark Kurlansky. It's kind of funny the way he's portrayed today, especially in schools you know, as as just this kind of dreamy guy who's about peace and love. He was a very determined political activist who eventually embraced nonviolence because he became convinced that that would work. And one man above all others convinced King that it would work. But King would have to make some changes first. Let's go back to Montgomery, 
It's February, 1956. King's house has just been bombed. David Garrow. As the Montgomery bus boycott begins to achieve national news coverage, um, civil rights supporters around the country begin asking themselves what they can do to assist uh, the Montgomery protesters. One of those prominent Northern activists was a 43-year-old black Quaker from Pennsylvania named Bayard Rustin, a longtime advocate of nonviolent protest. Rustin was concerned by what he saw when he arrived in Montgomery. So at the beginning there in Montgomery, even though Dr. King believed in a Christian doctrine of love, uh, his interest in nonviolence was not such that he was prohibiting uh, black community members from standing armed guard. After King's house was bombed, armed men kept guard out front each night. Bayard Rustin came to King's home shortly after the bombing. But Bayard himself is, is uh, taken somewhat aback um, when he sits down in a chair at, at Dr. King's home and, and realizes there's a gun in it. King explained that they did not intend to use the firearms or harm anyone unless they were violently attacked. This is Rustin biographer John D'Amelio again. And Rustin explains to him that if you want to be modeling nonviolence, you can't possess guns. You actually have to live out completely the philosophy of nonviolence. That was just the first lesson Rustin would provide to the young king. The weapons and armed guards were removed. And so Rustin becomes his tutor and instructor. And really, within the space of a few weeks, it is not an exaggeration to say that in terms of the strategy, tactics, and philosophy of nonviolence, Bayard Rustin becomes Dr. King's most trusted and closest advisor. The tall cosmopolitan Quaker and the short, eloquent Baptist preacher made for quite a pair. It was to be one of the most productive relationships in American history. Rustin immediately recognized King's raw talent and potential as a leader, but knew he still had a long way to go. Dr. King, justifiably, has become such a heroic figure and so closely associated with nonviolence and a mass movement that most people don't realize that at the time that Rustin meets him in the early stages of the boycott, Dr. King knows about nonviolence, but he has no training in it. He has no direct experience in the tactics and strategy of a nonviolent movement. And so, starting in Montgomery, Rustin and King had lengthy conversations about nonviolent principles, organizing tactics, and strategic thinking. Rustin even started ghostwriting some of King's speeches. King could not have had a better tutor. Many in the activist community considered Rustin to be, quote, the American Gandhi. It was not hyperbole. Every fiber in Rustin's being was dedicated to the principles of nonviolence. Here's Bayard Rustin. I said to begin with, you would not like what I am saying. Those people who think that we can use guns and knives against tanks and bazookas, they are the ignorant ones. In the next episode, we learn more about King's mentor, Bayard Rustin, the remarkable individual responsible for the March on Washington that launched King's dream. 
a gay man banished behind the scenes of the civil rights drama, but who still managed to change the course of American history from its shadows. The Thread is produced by Libby Coleman, Robert Kulos, Sophia Perpetua, and me, Sean Braswell. Chris Hoff engineered our show. This episode features the Montgomery Gospel Choir with a song called We Are Soldiers in the Army. To learn more about The Thread, visit ozzy.com slash the thread, all one word. And make sure to subscribe to The Thread on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on iHeartRadio or listen wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out at ozzy.com or on Twitter and Facebook. If you love surprising, engaging stories from history, look no further than the flashback section of Ozzy.com. That's O-Z-Y dot com. We've got to hold it up, the bloodstained banner. We've got, We've to, got hold to hold it up until we die. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. Give your glucose alerts and readings from the G7. Do not match symptoms or expectations. Use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.